Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PDCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. 2021 has been another massive year for community pharmacy, with the challenges of 2020 etched into our memories. The pandemic continued to be relentless. However, community pharmacy stepped up to continue to support and care for their patients and the wider Australian population. Community pharmacies have shown that they are ready, able and willing to provide vaccinations and health services to all Australians, as well as continue to provide expert medication advice and management. Throughout the year, we've had the absolute pleasure of hosting some fantastic guests on the show who have shared amazing stories, experiences, insights and advice with us. In a year that we will always remember, we were constantly amazed and truly grateful for the opportunity to engage with each and every one of the guests that came on the show with each show kicking off with a short snippet from a guest, an interesting part of the conversation for you to look forward to, we thought it would be a good idea to continue to go back through the episodes and pull out the full question and full answer for you and put them all together into some more best of episodes. As such, you can expect two shows full of short and sharp advice from each of our guests as we look back at 22 shows, those being episodes 66 to 87, and we will do that across two lots of 11. With this episode, being volume six of our best bits. Let's get started with episode 66, where Natalie Siriani, director of Attain Pharmacy Brokers, spoke about pathways to pharmacy ownership. Buying a pharmacy, it's obviously a huge decision, and I'm sure you'll agree that owning and running a business is very different to being a pharmacist. With that in mind, it's important that potential owners know what to consider when they start looking for a pharmacy business to purchase. What do you think are some of the questions that potential pharmacy owners really should start to be asking? Maybe not just about the business, but maybe even looking at themselves as well and whether it's a good fit owning a pharmacy. I think it's something that's often overlooked. Um, but for first-time buyers particularly, it's really critical that you you focus on yourself more so than the type of business that you're looking for, especially in those early stages of the journey of, of looking to buy. Um, and there's some key key questions you need to ask. So like, how much do you currently know about the buying process? Um, what do you know about pharmacy valuation? What do you know about getting finance, financial results, um, even how to read the financial statements of a pharmacy? Um, really assessing where your knowledge gap is. So. Um, how much do you know? What do you need to know? So what's that knowledge gap? And then ask yourself, well, how am I going to address that? How am I going to learn those things? Um, and is you know, when you buy a business, huge decision, as you mentioned, but there's there's so many aspects to it. So there's the financial side, but then there's also the staffing side, the legals, the leasing, everything. So things like, um, you know, how much do you know about managing staff, leadership, customer service, all those things. And the step from a pharmacist manager to pharmacy owner is a, is a really big one. So it's important that, um, you know, from the very start, like I said, you identify 
what skills you have, uh, what skills you don't have, probably more importantly, and then how do you take the steps to acquire those knowledge and, and, and learn those things, then it, it will open it up to even more things that you didn't even realise you needed to know. So um, it's a really important first step. Um, and then from there, once you've done that, then moving to the type of business that you would want to buy. So, you know, what kind of turnover, what kind of price am I looking for? What location? Uh, how, how much management skills do I have? So how many staff members do I want? Uh, partnership versus sole ownership. How am I going to fund it? Where am I going to get the money from? How will I manage the pharmacy where, once I get it? Um, how often do I want to work? How much input do I want to work? Uh, which advisors will I work with? So choosing your lawyer, your accountant, your finance broker, etc. So there's so many things to to um, ask yourself right from the get go, and and that will as you start looking for the pharmacy and as you start progressing through these steps, the search will narrow. So you you'll you funnel it in and bring it in and you'll, you know, switch and change. But it's really important you ask those questions right from the start. And then obviously when you find the business, there's a there's a lot more work to do in, in terms of assessing if the opportunity is right for you. Benjamin King from Alice Springs joined us in episode 67 where he spoke about his pathway and his experiences in being named the Pharmacy Assistant of the Year for 2020. Would your advice to those that have maybe been nominated in the past and then in the future find themselves being nominated again, that they should really grab that opportunity with both hands again? A hundred percent. It's a rewarding experience no matter how you look at it. There's plenty that you can learn and not doing it is not going to give you anything. Whereas if you go for the process, you try and gun it, you give it your hundred percent and you bring who you are as a person to the table is phenomenal. You get to meet other people who have the passion in the pharmacy industry and you get to bounce your ideas off. You get to learn. I can't recommend it highly. If you've been nominated and you're grappling with the idea, just go for it hundred percent. Nothing to lose whatsoever. In episode 68, we caught up with one of the past National Student Business Plan competition winners, Jess Carl, owner at City Pharmacy Newcastle. And learning those things, experiencing those new things that you hadn't before, did it help build confidence in you? Oh, absolutely. I didn't really realise what things I was going to learn along the journey. It was sort of more of a great opportunity came up and I just sort of jumped into it and said yes without really realising what it would mean. But I just learned so much along the way and so many new different skills that I didn't even realise I was going to learn or find valuable in the future in my future sort of career paths. Kirsten O'Doherty discussed diversity in pharmacy on International Women's Day in episode 69. Well, speaking of significant impact, we obviously just spoke about continued gender inequality, but there are definitely benefits to having equality. What are some of those benefits that the business world and society in general stand to gain from increasing representation of women across those key leadership roles? It's really obvious, and this is the thing that I also find frustrating, there's so much evidence to show just on really simple metrics like business performance. You know, companies are improving their performance in terms of uh, market value, in terms of profitability, etc. There's a lot of data that's been generated in Australia, in the US, to show that companies that have got really good performance in gender diversity outperform other companies that don't have that gender diversity. So there's a real driver in terms of economic profit and business performance, which is just really clear. So that's a 
very easy reason to to drive it. But also things like employee engagement. You know, we know that, for example, in pharma, 60% of the employees are women, but across all workplaces, you know, you've got a significant proportion of your employee base being women. And they are much more engaged in organisations where they can see women in leadership roles, women having um, good opportunities for career promotion and development. So it really drives engagement and retention um, of staff, which again, you know, is incredibly valuable uh, for organisations. And the other thing I think is that diversity, particularly gender diversity, drives innovation. We know to be an innovative organisation, you need to be able to understand and represent the views of your customers, the views of your employees, and that requires diversity. So if you want to drive innovation and, again, business performance, diversity is incredibly important. So there's some really strong business reasons, profitability, business performance, employee engagement, innovation, retention of talent, all of these things are supported by having very strong gender equity in senior leadership. In episode 70, Aaron D'Souza, pharmacist and general manager of Guild Digital, spoke about the importance of having an online presence. As we've seen last year, Things can change very, very quickly. And businesses, they can't necessarily rely on the in-store, maybe the face-to-face interactions that they're used to with their customers day in, day out anymore. In this sense, from your point of view, how important is it to ensure that a business has an online presence? It's not only important. We have to also add in there that it's urgent. I mean, let's look at the last year, bushfires. Um, a, a pandemic with with its social distancing, lockdowns. I mean, what else uh, needs to be thrown at us to to recognise the importance of first of all connection, but second of all, really looking at the external environment outside the pharmacy, and riding the wave, and that's where digital can really help. Now, Now, COVID is driving so much and, and so many pharmacies would be changing the way that they're working internally based upon that external environment. And I think just, I, I really want to give you an example about how important that is. And I'm going to use the example of my dad. Okay, so my dad, who um, uh, is a boilermaker by trade, and he um, never really in his jobs, like he had, had a little bit to do with computers as he went through and became a real estate agent. But my dad was never really good with, with computers. He now will never get off his phone. And he is the family expert in scanning QR codes. He thinks it's the greatest thing that he can do. If we go out to a cafe or we go out for a a beer, he's the guy who whips out his phone. He knows how to scan that QR code. He knows how to input his detail. Now, my dad is somewhere, but he just turned 75 years old. So he's in the prime medication user um, uh, uh, demographic, this prime demographic that that pharmacies are desperate to engage. um, And and he's the guy using his phone. So you ask me a question about importance. It's important because to align with the external environment and consumers who are engaged with these new journeys and have been forced to do it because of COVID, 
that's why it's important for pharmacies to engage with 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 digital solutions and online solutions because it is now part of the everyday for even people like my dad who's 75 year old and he's the QR king of Brisbane. We looked at change management in episode 71 when head of strategy and partnerships for pharmacy platform Andrew Patterson joined us. Andrew with so much great advice so far I wanted to finish with something big I've I've kept it till the end and that is changing a community pharmacy business model. We kind of touched on it a little bit earlier around pharmacies considering what their business actually is. Changing a community pharmacy business model, it's a big deal. And we know that many owners, they're in various stages of considering or executing that change. What advice would you like to leave those people, those looking to change their business model after they've finished listening to the podcast today? There was some research that came out as part of their Guild CP2025. But I think those pathways are actually a really sensible thing for all community pharmacists to just have a look at and say, look, where am I winning? In what area do I want to keep driving forward? And off the back of that research, it was quite interesting. There, a lot of people felt that income was decreasing, but there wasn't a need to change. So it's really interesting that dying the death of a thousand cuts seem like a, a reasonable business strategy. Uh, to me, that seems crazy. Uh, so, you know, you'd encourage every community pharmacist to have a look. You know, what are the areas? Look at your community. Look at the demographics in your community. Look at the opportunities to find that blue ocean, find that sort of clear space uh, that is going to be a sustainable, differentiated business model uh, that is going to take your business to the next step. So the uh, the government has flagged as part of the community pharmacy agreements. They do see pharmacies as having a role in improving the health outcomes of Australians. Uh, there's significant income available, as you're probably aware. We do the uh, we work with the pharmacy guild in their um, in their seven CPA opportunity analysis calculator. So um, our team can talk you through exactly for a guild member what is my opportunity in income in 7CPA and what are the most appropriate services that with my current team, resources and my demographic, what are the most appropriate uh, services I should be offering both from a 7CPA and a fee-for-service program perspective. So I think firstly understand where you're at, understand what the opportunity looks like going forward and finding that purpose will re-energise your business. I think a health solution model um, is really the the only truly differentiated uh, business model that's that, uh, that's available to community pharmacies. You'll get to use your training, get to use your skills, and as I say, better patient outcomes have always equaled better business outcome. So, um, yeah, finding those high-value patients um, because... You know, when it comes to consumers and patients, they're not all created equal. So understand uh, where, what are your highest value, most profitable patients for your business and how can you start to harness and attract more of them and focus your offer on solving patient needs rather than just being that kind of convenience destination for one size fits all. Uh, And as doing that, define your strategy, align your structure, Make sure your operating systems meet that strategy and structure, and then measure the uh, measure the outcomes, and then 
do it all again, continually uh, review and reinvest in your business. Amy Gosling, Principal Consultant from EMAS, gave us an amazing rundown of the environment surrounding the advertising of therapeutic goods by pharmacies in Episode 72. Why are there so many rules in healthcare advertising? Why are they necessary and why are they so important both to the industry and consumers? Because I'm wondering, you spoke about how some of the medicines on offer can be truly life-changing, not only for the patients, but maybe their family as well. Is it in part because the conditions and the benefits of the treatment can be quite emotional and maybe people are quite susceptible to advertising and influence? Absolutely. My life-changing computer monitor, my HD monitor, (laughs) as opposed to a life-changing blood pressure monitor, these products can really save lives or they're intended to help the person or a loved one maintain or improve their health. So not necessarily, you know, supplements, those types of things, maintaining or improving the life. And the the TGA puts extra advertising rules in place um, to provide a higher ethical standard on these materials. Yeah, they're important. And as you mentioned, in my background in retail pharmacy, I spent years having people come to me asking about a product they'd seen on TV. Does it really work? they'd relay back to me what they saw and expect a miracle cure, something, you know, the night after a current affairs show. It's amazing what people hear or take in, despite all getting the same information. Uh, There's products out there that can help with weight loss, I know. But my point is that um, people hear different things from an advertisement. Um, A parent will come in with an ad from a magazine asking, does this really work? Can I use it on my baby? Or they'll hear something from a friend, um, oh, rub tiger balm on your sore throat. It'll be perfect for you. So when you're unwell, as you said, uh, or looking after someone who who is unwell, you're in a vulnerable situation. And if you see an ad about something that looks like it might help you or them get better, well, you're likely to jump on it. Of course you want the best or the fastest or the strongest or the gentlest. Whatever it is, that advertising message that you see will be particularly powerful when you're in that situation. I know you mentioned earlier that advertising must be conducted in a way that promotes the quality use of a product, is socially responsible and does not mislead or deceive the consumer. And essentially, that's all there is to it. It's important that both the health industry and the consumers get correct messaging and to maintain that trust that we have in healthcare and healthcare system. Community pharmacy and corporate social responsibility was the topic in episode 73 when we spoke to Ian Shanks, owner of the Full Life Pharmacies Group and CEO of the Full Life Foundation. Well, speaking of inspiration, if the listeners right now are inspired and they want to support and be involved with your work, can pharmacies or individuals become involved with the Full Life Foundation? And if so, how can they do that? Yes, most definitely. We would love to have more pharmacies supporting us whether that be donation boxes on the counters, our gift of hope cards, or even direct donations. We have a, a couple of pharmacists supporting us financially, donating on a monthly basis, and we would love to, to have more. And you can go to our website, which is fulllifefoundation.com.au, or you can contact me directly. Am I able to give out a number, Daniel? 100%. Okay, it's 0414 The truth is we've been able to bring about really incredible impact for relatively small amounts of money. So I guess we always imagine what we could do if we we had more to, to work with. 
I've heard it said, Daniel, that one of the best things in life you can do is to make a positive difference to the life of another person. And that's something that we've experienced over the past seven or eight years that we've been running the foundation. It's been incredibly rewarding. We believe that every life is important and every mother giving birth, every baby coming into the world is special, no matter where they're born, whether that's Australia or Ethiopia. They deserve a chance at living a full life, and the pun actually was intended there. Um, and we just want to provide help and assist as many Ethiopian mothers and children as we can. So if anyone's out there wanting to get involved or wanting to know ways that they can support us, please feel free to contact me anytime. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. We got to know more about Trent Toomey, who had just started as Guild President in Episode 74. Well, Trent, if the first 100 days in the role is a sprint, 2028 might seem like a long-distance event, but in 2028, the Guild will celebrate its centenary. What's your vision for community pharmacy when the Guild celebrates its centenary? I think the National Council has a vision, so it's not just about me. So the National Council's vision is that as we approach 2028, which is, as you rightly put, the centenary of the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, we celebrate a series of milestones. In 2022, we have the 60th anniversary of, of Guild Group. Um, you know, we have the 8th Community Pharmacy Agreement in 2025. Uh, we've got the 40th anniversary of the World Pharmacy Council and the 30th anniversary of the Quality Care Program in 2027. Um, then, of course, we have our our centenary in 2028, but that year we also celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, uh, a role that the Pharmacy Guild uh, not only guards but also takes exceptionally seriously as a joint custodian with the Commonwealth Government on, on behalf of the people of Australia to ensure that that system is world-leading, um, is sustainable um, and is meeting the quality use of medicine needs um, of, of Australians, but it's also the 50th anniversary of the Australasian College of Pharmacy that year. And then, of course, you know, just 24 months after that, um, uh, we've got the ninth Community Pharmacy Agreement. So there's there's a lot of things happening in this centenary period of time, but um, all of these things are a means to an end. Um, so what do the Pharmacy Guild National Councillors want for their members, I suppose, is better answered if we say, what does the Pharmacy Guild of Australia want out of a healthcare system for the people of Australia and what we want are better health outcomes. Uh, we want to make sure that we are world leading in all areas, whether it be potentially preventable hospital presentations being reduced, whether it's increasing vaccination rates, potentially uh, vaccine preventable diseases, whether it's uh, treating minor ailments or managing uh, chronic disease and community pharmacy should be uh, the, the centrepiece for the delivering um, and addressing of these three things for Australians by, by the end of, of that 10-year period. So that's what we're working towards, where we're looking overseas and abroad. Can't travel at the moment, but we can still communicate through organisations like the World Pharmacy Council to see what community pharmacies are doing in Alberta and Canada and in, in Virginia and in the United States, in, uh, you know, in, um, in Wales and in Scotland, in the United Kingdom areas that have much broader scopes of clinical practice where community pharmacies are being able to be true primary healthcare hubs. So that's what we're focusing on. We're, we're not focusing on ourselves, we're focusing on our patients. And when we talk about our patients first and foremost, um, our members will benefit. Um, and when our members benefit, the Guild benefits. In episode 75, Lindsay Tighe from Better Questions had us focusing on how we can be better communicators in our pharmacies. 
And Lindsay, most people ask questions, as you mentioned earlier, that can often just be seen as a sentence with a question mark at the end. But in fairness, it's a fairly standard part of our communication with other people. But what makes a question, a standard question, a better question? As you quite rightly say, Daniel, people often think I'm already asking lots of questions. So I think to really get people to stop and become conscious of what is it then about a question that can make it better is a lovely thing to become aware of. So I always start by asking people to become conscious of their intention when they are asking the question. And what I find very often is that people will ask what I call information gathering questions. And what what happens with those is that, yes, they're asking questions and often they can be good open questions, but the, their intention is to get information to enable them to still be able to be the expert themselves. And whilst I appreciate sometimes that can be a valid thing if we need to diagnose or, uh, you know, give advice, obviously that style of questioning can be good. But what we have to recognise is there's many questions that we can ask that ultimately will empower people. And so, you know, I challenge people to think about, well, what is what is your intention when you're asking this? If it, if it is only simply to enable you to be the expert, fantastic. But I think most people don't appreciate that questions can be asked to help other people to be empowered and to help them to be the expert. And you'll hear uh, from me later about how much beneficial that can be. So a starting point is the, the intention and acknowledging who is the expert when we're thinking about asking those questions. But adding to that, I think the other key aspect is really being mindful of how we are asking the question. And I always remember an example of a lady who actually was attending my workshop and she acknowledged that her manager already asked her lots of questions. And I thought that was, I said, fantastic, because I'll be honest, I don't hear that too often. I usually hear the comment, my manager needs to do your training. So um, I was really impressed that she said that to me. But she went on to say, she said, Lindsay, it's not good because she said, my manager will ask me a question and I'll try and use the tonality that she, she used. She said, she'll say, so, so and so what do you think you could do? And very clearly, the the lady's manager was asking her a question, not with the intention that she wanted to empower her or trust her to come up with an answer. She was really asking the question in a way that her the lady said, Lindsay, I never answer my manager's questions because she said, I feel on the spot. I feel like I'm going to get it wrong. And I just tell my manager, I don't know. So, you know, the advice I will always give people is the way we ask the question is more important than the question itself. So we do need to be very mindful of our tonality, our body language. And I think, to be honest, if we get that intention right up front, I am actually here to help people to be empowered, to hear their ideas, to genuinely release their capability and potential, then I think we'll get that bit right. 
And the other point that often does get overlooked with good questioning is the need to ask it with an open mind because um, so many times I'll hear examples of people asking questions, but they've got the answer in mind. And when somebody doesn't give them the answer that they're expecting, it's so easy to tell them that their answer is wrong. And we probably don't do it as, you know, rudely as that, but, you know, we will basically let them know that, no, their answer is wrong. Um, and open-mindedness is something that I think a lot of people say they, I am open-minded, but where the second we, we say something different to what they think, then they judge us as being wrong. So having that open mind, I think, is really fundamental to um, ask or making a question a better question. Um, and I think the final thing, you know, one of the things I love to to teach people is just raising their awareness around the structure of the questions we're asking. And I think most people appreciate open and closed questions. But even within that understanding, some open questions are better than others. And um, really helping people to appreciate some of those differences is really important. And my final little thing that I always, always help people be aware of with the questions themselves is being mindful not to ask. And we've actually made up a little term, Tina and I, that we use. We call them quagestions. And a, a quagestion is really a suggestion disguised as a question. Um, and people often will say, do you think you could talk to so-and-so about that? And they think that they're asking a good question, but in reality, they are actually saying, I think you should do that. And they're making a suggestion, but they're pretending that they're questioning. So um, I think there's, there's quite a few things there to be mindful of around making a question a better question. And finally, Katrina Savage from Smart Bite Nutrition joined us in episode 76 and gave pharmacists some great advice on how to support fussy eaters. Karina, welcome to the show. Let's start with a question that probably most parents have thought, should I be worried about having a fussy eater, a fussy eating child? Well, in short, probably not. But it doesn't mean that parents aren't going to feel hugely stressed and worried. I speak firsthand, I've had my own fussy eater and parents feel incredibly passionate about getting the right nutrition into their child. They worry that their children are not getting enough. There's really good um, stats about, I think it's about 80% of parents are worried that their child is still not receiving the right nutrition. And, and it's something that parents face daily. Look, 30 to 40% of children are perceived fussy by their parents. Fussiness is, in fact, a normal part of child development and it's often poorly understood. So we're dealing with parents or pharmacists, we're dealing with parents who perceive their child as fussy. You know, it's at least one in three children are perceived as fussy. It's a normal part of child development, but it's still hugely stressful for parents because they want their child to eat well. They're not sure that they're getting the right nutrition. So it's this conundrum that health professionals face because we have parents coming to us incredibly stressed and worried and I have parents crying in my rooms or on the phone because their child is so fussy. Um, but it's often just a normal part of child development and they may not necessarily need to worry, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's a tricky one because it's not until you get them in the room and assess actually what they eat uh, 
it's not until you can do that can you then guide them as to whether they really should be concerned. That's a wrap for Volume 6 of the Best Bits of the PBCM podcast, which is part one of our two-part look back at 2021. I've been your host, Daniel Oyson, and it's been fantastic having you join me to revisit some of the amazing stories, experiences, insights, and advice from our guests. And once again, to our guests, thank you to all of you who came on the show for these episodes. I know we are all truly grateful that they found some time in their busy schedules to come on the show. The Guild is dedicated to supporting members and the Community Pharmacy Network with tools, resources and information to assist business and career growth and improvement. For more information, just contact your local Guild branch or visit the Guild website, guild.org.au. I look forward to you joining us for Volume 7 of the Best Bits of the PVCN podcast, which will be Part 2 of our look back at 2021. Until next time, you've been listening to Episode 88 of the PVCN podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.